Hello and welcome to the Lake Syria Vineyard Church podcast. We're glad you're here and hope that the following audio will be a blessing to you. If you'd like more information about who we are, where we are, and what we're all about, please visit myvineyardchurch.com. Good morning. It's so good to be with you today. Um, You know, together we're going to celebrate the beauty of family and babies. And if you're our guest today, we just want to warmly welcome you, especially those of you who are extended family of these uh, wonderful couples and babies that will be presented this morning. My name is Janice Ornquist. I'm one of the pastors here on our staff, and I have the privilege to officiate child dedication services a few times a year. Now, you may have noticed when you walked in, there's a lot of baby carriers I got knocked over, almost knocked over by one today. And all of our toddlers running around and our little ones, it's just such a gift to have so many children in our church. And you've probably noticed how many expecting mamas we have walking around also. Uh, I was here on Wednesday night, or Wednesday morning when we have our Lakes Area Moms group. There's about 60, 62 women who come. And everywhere I turned around, (laughs) there was a pregnant lady. And for one of them, I said, oh, you're really pregnant. I just, it just came out my mouth. <laughs> and I felt so s- silly. And she just smiled at me and said, obviously. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I keep saying this, that there must be something in our coffee. But of course, we know that babies don't come from coffee, right? <laughs> Now, my husband and I have three adult children, ages uh, almost 32 to 40, and we have five grandchildren, four who are under the age of five and a half, and one who is now in heaven. But I remember the anxiety um, when one of our little boys, and I don't remember which one it was, Jordan or Ben, but he asked the dreaded question that all parents eventually face at some point, Mommy, where do babies come from? And, you know, parents have come up with some wild answers to this question over the years. My mom's quick and very solid answer over several questions that I ask about this was a long-beaked, long-necked stork flew you in and dropped you off. Well, it sounded pretty weird because I'd never sighted a stork in Minnesota. And you would think you would if that was the case. But it could explain my repetitive dreams about flying like a bird. Like, maybe that's linked. But maybe birds were just a common theme for the mystery of babies back in the 50s and 60s. Because Brian, my husband, heard this story from his mom. Well, son, a bird pooped on a rock. The sun came out and you were hatched. (laughs) Seriously, no wonder he has issues. There's one little guy who curiously asked his dad where he came from, and his dad said, well, I went to the store, and I bought a little seed. And I told your mom to swallow it, and that seed grew inside over the nine months, and nine months later, you came out. And the boy responded with, I will never eat a seed. Because I don't want a baby coming out of me. Do you remember the Cabbage Patch Kids back in the 1980s? Anyone here had a Cabbage Patch, right? Because you got adoption papers and, um, you know, you, uh, did you name the baby? I can't remember how it went, but, because I didn't, 
I was too old to get one. But, um, you know, kids were told uh, that these babies came from the Cabbage Patch. So I wonder how many kids actually thought maybe they were picked out of a Cabbage Patch. So I'm just wondering, how many of you heard a questionable story about really how you came to be? Raise your hand. Like, a stork brought you in, a bird pooped on a rock. Well, really, there's not too many of you. I'm glad to hear that. You were not picked out of a garden. You were not dropped off by a bird. You were not hatched, more importantly. You do not need to worry. Whether you're a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle, you do not need to worry about how you need to explain the intimate deal details of how a little human came to be when they ask you how they were made. Why? Because there's a beautiful and God-centered truth found in the Bible. It doesn't really come to mind when we're asked the question about where, we, where, where they came from, but it does explain the true mystery of creation. And it's, in, it's found in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 17. If you have a Bible, you can take a look at it on your own or a device if you want to look at it. But it's found in Psalm 139, and this is King David, and he said, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. And he goes on to say, Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born, Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out. Before a single day had passed, how precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. So you need to hear again today, you were never, ever, the result of random nature. The book of Genesis reveals that we are made in the image of God. You are his omnipotent handwork, crafted in your mother's womb as a unique and distinct person. Your existence comes not by happenstance or mistake or the careful planning or non-planning of two people. You were pre-planned by God. Now every baby is a gift. Every baby is an incredible miracle. And this morning, eight couples are going to dedicate one of their children to the Lord. And in just a bit, you're going to see every sweet face on the video that we've made. But we cannot push aside another reality, and that is that in a crowd this size, dedication times, yes, are important, but they can also be difficult for anyone who's walked through divorce, the separation of children in that marriage, in the back and forth, or anyone who's walked through infertility issues, or had a miscarriage, or a stillborn baby, or really the death of any precious child. And if this is a part of your story today, any of those things, I want to ask you to consider one thing. Would you give God some purposeful time today and ask him to comfort your heart and your soul and your mind? Because he loves you with a deep and immeasurable love and with no condemnation about whatever has happened. Your pain and your questions are really unable to separate you 
from the love of God. In Romans we hear that nothing can separate us from the love of God. We can choose to separate from his love, but he will never separate, no matter what we're going through, no matter what the struggle. Now, at the vineyard, we have dedication services regularly. Why do we do this? It's because we see the model in the Bible. We see this modeled in the Old Testament, first in the, uh, the book of 1 Samuel. Hannah, a woman of, of God, is pleading with him to give her a baby, and she vows that if he does, that she'll give it back to the Lord. And her prayer is answered, and they named the baby Samuel, and his parents traveled to a, a town named Shiloh, where that was the military and the religious capital of Israel, and they proclaim, now I give him to the Lord. And then Samuel matures both in worship and obedience to God, and he becomes a significant voice for God in the nation of Israel. He grows up and becomes um, an old man that serves the Lord. And in the New Testament, we see Joseph and Mary uh, take Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem. And let's take a look at Luke chapter 2, 21 through 24. And it says this, verse 21, Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says, if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Birds are involved. Now, is dedication still required by the law of the Lord? No. God got us out of all of the, the, the mess, really, of the law because none of us can keep it totally. And he gave us this generous gift of Jesus. Romans chapter 3 is clear on this, that it's through faith in Jesus Christ that God puts us in right standing with himself. So dedication is not commanded, or, nor is it required, yet it serves a very purposeful role within God's people and the family of God. So why? Why is dedication purposeful now? It's because in dedication, parents are acknowledging and they're publicly expressing that their child, this baby, is a gift and actually belongs to the Lord, created by God. Their days are marked in his book, as we read. And they acknowledge that they've been entrusted by God to raise the baby or the child that, that they're dedicating, and they express that they have a desire that he or she will come to faith in Jesus. Baby dedication is also a way for the church family, the congregation of believers, to, to welcome the child and join in prayer for the parents and for the, the child and to commit to being a supportive community of faith for the family and for the children. So child dedication should always and will impact parents and children's spiritual life. And of course, it's purposeful because grandpa and grandmas get to come and watch and be a part of that child's faith journey. So what actually happens when parents dedicate their child? Well, first, 
Parents publicly declare their own faith in Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. They commit to raising their child in a godly manner, and lastly, they ask God for his help and blessing. See, here's the thing. No parent is perfect or sinless, whatever their story or circumstances may be. And sometimes it's when a baby is born, a baby arrives into their lives, that it's the very catalyst that brings them either back to faith or to faith because they see the amazing miracle and go, God is here. And I need to pay attention to, to that. And so oftentimes um, when we, I just remember when our first baby was born, I was like, I have no clue what to do. I need God. I don't know how anyone parents without the Spirit of God helping them. So what's important is, and what's happening is that moms and dads are acknowledging their responsibility to nurture and guide and develop the child's foundation of faith in Jesus. And they're sincerely asking for God's blessing and help to accomplish this precious task. And the church community then is asked if they're willing to help parents by providing the community that will assist and develop the child's faith and provide the positive experience for God's family. And lastly, what happens in dedication is that we invite parents, I mean extended family and friends and church leaders to surround them and um, pray for them for a few minutes. Let's give them a round of applause. So great. So I've talked about how, how we've truly been made, our creation. We talked about dedication, its purpose and value, and you participated in this sweet time. Now I want to end our time together this morning with a few practical things about education. Creation, dedication, education. It's all well and good to have intention to raise children in the faith, but so many things distract us from actually doing it. And if you don't have any plans or measurable goals as parents, grandparents, or even as a church when we minister to children, if we don't have a plan, then something else or someone else is forming and shaping their thinking and feelings and their actions. Now there's a modern belief, even among parents who profess to be Christian, that says this. We want our kids to find their own path, choose their own belief. And believe me, kids do. And our culture is telling kids that Christians are offensive, controlling, and uncool. Is cool still a word? <laughs> but we'll never be able to pass on our faith if we have little or no intention to love God with all our hearts, with our soul and our mind and our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. See, faith in Christ, faith in Jesus, is established through love and relationships. So a healthy marriage leads to a healthy relationship between parents and kids. And this is what creates the higher likelihood of kids actually maintaining core beliefs and values as they move into adulthood. Yes, you know, you hear the saying, kids learn not just what you say, but by what you do. And I would say it's, it's both and. 
what you say and what you do and how you love the Lord and your neighbor impacts their lives forever. And, you know, parents, you, you, you know, if you've been a parent for more than a minute or two, you know that you need wisdom. You need help. And you need intentionality and steadfastness and grace and forgiveness to build the necessary foundation in a child's life to be able to, to pass on actually a genuine faith, a, a child who will actually live it out because they've watched you live it out. And it requires humility and teachability and empathy and compassion and patience and self-control and, and all of the fruit of the Spirit that I mentioned and prayed in that prayer. And that takes time and attention from parents. And parents are often, as you know, tired and distracted and busy, busy, busy. You know, ma many parents are so busy and so tired or so overwhelmed that they don't have the energy or the time to focus on foundational pieces of a child's development of faith. You may bring them to church and rely on someone else teaching them the things that actually you should be discipling your children, your grandchildren, and any child you're around, uh, showing them and talking to them. But if you are a parent that's too busy, slow down and give more time and attention to the most important people that God has gifted you with. You know, when you are on that deathbed, which will all come for us at some point, it isn't your trophies or your career, the people you've worked with that are going to surround you. It's the people you've loved and loved well. That's what counts. And so the ways in which you love God and the ways that you love your spouse, the ways you love your parents and your grandparents and each of your unique children that God has given you, that will actually form and shape their capacity to experience and receive and give or communicate love. I recently read a great marriage book called The Way We Love. And it isn't talking about how we can blame our parents for our stuff or our inability to love. But those years of our formation are crucial to how we move through life and how we love. And so I think it's important that we take a look at why it's difficult for us uh, to love our spouse or our children really deeply and well. We can say in our hearts, that we love, but do we show it and take the time and attention it takes to lead them into a genuine faith? So I'm just going to give some practical things uh, before we close today, and that is, first of all, value the Bible. You know, I think that this whole idea, this modern idea of I think that our, my child should just find their own way, their own path, their own belief, and let me tell you, our culture has so many ways to God right now. So many options. And I think that belief is coming out of this place where we don't value God's word as a culture, as a society. And, you know, wh why do we need to value the Bible? It's because the Bible's not a storybook. Every word within its pages holds truth. It is God speaking and revealing himself to us. And it is important 
for our children and our grandchildren to see us read it, learn more about it, and talk about it, and discover what's in it. God's word, value it. And if your children or grandchildren don't have a Bible that they can look through and read and you can read to them, get them one. Keep it simple, as simple as picking up your Bible, having the toddler or the little grandchild or your little niece or your little nephew put their hand on it and say, this book is important. I read it to know how to love God and love people. Keep it simple. Value the Bible. Secondly, obey and teach God's commands. And we find God's clear commands in Exodus and in Deuteronomy. Let's take a look at Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6. This is verses 6 and 7. And God is saying here, You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you're getting up. Now this seems straightforward. What are children to be taught? God's commands. How are they to be taught? Repetitively. Who is to teach them? Help me out. Parents. And when? When you're on the road and when you're at home, both morning and night. So what are those commands? Let's take a look at Exodus 20. Now this is, uh, if, you're, if you look at the commands in both Deuteronomy and Exodus, you'll find that this is paraphrased or shortened because there's a lot of things that are added to each command. But these are the simple, kind of straightforward ones. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not mis misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You should not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. And you shall not covet. Now you may say, wait a minute, Pastor Janice. <laughs> when we believe in Jesus, aren't we free from the law? Don't we live by the Spirit? Why should we obey or teach the Ten Commandments? I'll tell you why. Because they're God's good, common sense, sane, and holy counsel. God knows what's best for us as people. He gave moral and spiritual direction about how to do life and do life in the best way. The Ten Commandments are a gift of love, personally and socially. And this is true of all scripture. His word is a gift of love to us, yet the heart and soul of God's guidance is found in these ten commands. God spoke the words to Moses. They were overheard by the children of Israel in Exodus 20, and then later Moses repeats them in Deuteronomy 5. They're to be memorized, they're to be pondered, and they should become a way of life. The commands guide us and they protect us. When we keep them, we show others what God is like. And when we fail to live by them, we bring harm to ourselves and dishonor to the one who made us and gave us life. Yes, we will have a problem keeping all of them. But when we've received and chosen to believe in Jesus and we're given the Holy Spirit, our propensity to live by our sin nature is fixed. 
When we come to Christ and we get the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in us, we then have the power to live out these commands. You know, d did any of you have to teach your kid how to lie? Like, son, this is how you tell a lie. No, it's sin nature in us. And so we have to teach them how to tell the truth and that it is safe to tell the truth. God gives us the grace to keep the commandments and they help us live in peace with God and with ourselves and with our neighbors. Jesus taught and clarified the commandments and he raised the bar for what God expects of his people. The first four commands are about our relationship with God. The last six address our relationship with other people. Let's take a look at this and we'll close with this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, Jesus said with all your soul and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the greatest commands. And then thirdly, I will add this. Pray for your child. Teach them how to pray. Put your hands on them at night. Bless them as they go off to school. Bless them as they grow. Pray for them constantly. Parents, grandparents, and any of you who know a child pray for them. Would you stand with me this morning as we close? We're going to end our service today with um, another song and also an opportunity to um, receive prayer. I think one of the things before I pray I want to just say is that some of you, when you hear about and have and, and read with me this morning Psalm 139, that you've forgotten that God created you in your mother's womb. And there's been some sort of shame or sense of uh, not belonging. Maybe you thought, and maybe you were even told you were a mistake. And I just think God wants to bring healing to that today. So I want to encourage you to come forward and, and get prayer. Also, you, there's some of you who have, have really struggled since... Um, getting a divorce and your children are with dad at times and with mom at times and it's a struggle to parent uh, in unity and I think the Lord wants to give you some insight and courage and, and um, help today with that if you've struggled with infertility or a loss of a child and these times are hard because you miss them and wanted them I think God wants to comfort you today so our prayer time is going to give you an opportunity uh, to do that so prayer team would you come on up and just get prepared to pray for people as i pray out loud and then anita's going to lead us in a song before uh, we can leave today so father whatever you're doing in this uh, beautiful family today i pray that you would be faithful to to meet people where they're at thank you for the ability to celebrate with these parents and families today as they welcome and then as we as a church welcome them into our, our church family, God, would you give us grace to care for children well, our teens, even our young adults who are struggling to find their pathway in faith. Show us more, Lord, how to, how to love well and love deeply the way you've called us and created us to. God, we receive your love for us today. 
Hey, everybody, that's it for this week's sermon. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to check out our website, myvineyardchurch.com, to stay connected and to see how you can be a part of what God is doing here at our church. Have an amazing rest of your day.